Hey, until we uh, see the Lord face to face and say goodbye to this world, uh, can you help me with something? Um, I'm looking for a red heifer. Red heifer. Does anyone know where I could find one? Let me, let me just, I need to tell you more. It's not just my thing. I am, I'm not the only one looking for a red heifer. It, it, you may be surprised to know many people are. And the reason they are is that uh, the Bible speaks to us of the construction of another temple in Jerusalem. There is none standing there now, as you, as you know. Solomon's temple, Herod's temple, no longer there. Uh, but there will be one, at least one more, standing in times to come. Many students of the Bible, knowing this, also know that a red heifer, specifically the ashes of a red heifer, are required if, in fact, uh, the newly constructed temple is to be able to be authorized. If priests and all the rest are going to be able to function in it, the prerequisite is the ashes of a red heifer. And this is mentioned in Numbers uh, chapter 19. So folks have read Numbers chapter 19. We're going to take a look at it a little bit uh, this evening as well as part of our study in the book of Numbers in the wilderness is what the title is in Hebrew, Bamidbar. It's about ancient Israel's, you know, wilderness wanderings by application. It's ours as well until we get to our land of promise. So Numbers chapter 19, you will see, speaks of the ashes of a red heifer, which are required in order for there to be um, God-ordained cleansing procedures in the newly constructed temple. So many people, many, many people are looking for the ashes of a red heifer. In fact, so ferociously are some looking for it, uh, there are attempts to produce one in northern Israel uh, on various farms. Uh, this is going on. And even in places in the United States, wouldn't it be absolutely overwhelming if a red heifer suitable uh, to the rabbis was produced by the great republic of Texas? <laughs> and we do cows around here, don't we? That's what a heifer is, isn't it? A heifer is like a girl cow, right? That's what a heifer is. We can produce. Now, here, it's not that easy. See, they've tried to do this. Uh, and the rabbis examine. It has to be a red heifer. According to the book of Numbers, that's Torah. I mean, this is like holy writing. And so, and so it has to wait, Holy cow. Is, yeah, that's. <laughs> thank you, Brenda. That's good. One was produced a few years ago. I think the name given the heifer was Melody, something like this. But the rabbis examined it, and there were uh, two non-red hairs, white or brown, and so it didn't qualify. It's just that serious. But there are very, very systematic attempts. I'm not making this up right now to produce a pure suitable red heifer so that it can satisfy the prerequisite and so that the temple which once stood in Jerusalem will be constructed 
once again. Now, the problem is we have not seen this kind of uh, red heifer without defect in about 2,000 years. See, see, we see we had them in ancient Jerusalem until around A.D. 70. And then you have the 10th Roman Legion and Titus and terrible destruction of the temple of Jerusalem and people removed from the land. And so no red heifer has been available or offered in 2,000 years. But it's quite important if you're a student of Scripture, you'll see why. So take a look with me. Just some selected verses from this rather lengthy chapter, chapter 19. Let's look at verse 1 to begin with. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, that they bring you, notice, an unblemished red heifer, in which is no defect, and on which a yoke has never been placed. Folks, that's a tall order. Not only is the color rather unusual, red, but notice the other qualifications. No blemish whatsoever. No defect whatsoever. And a heifer that has not been put to common use. No profane common utilization of this heifer. This is a tall order to find such a creature. Um... Do you know where one can be found? I guess that's my question. Where could we find an, a, an unblemished, um, perfect <laughs> one without defect? Do you have any ideas? Brenda? It is the Lord Jesus, and you are right, my dear sister. Folks, I want to give you an interpretive key to the Old Testament. Look for Jesus. Uh, if you look to the Old Testament through uh, the person of the Lord Jesus, this will make sense to you. Otherwise, it looks like we're speaking only of cows as an end in itself. Oh, no, no, no. All of these things in the Old Testament represent fulfillment, which we see in the New In fact, most of these things are a mere shadow, as we read in Colossians, of what is to come. They're significant. Please don't misunderstand. But they're not places and things and truths that we stay with. No, 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 no. They're beachheads from which we we launch, we take off into the New Testament. So so this red heifer, uh, the one never been put to a common use, the one of a kind being, the one without defect, the one without blemish, I must tell you, as you'll see, even in a more clear way, is a representation of foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he was unblemished. He was without defect. He had no sin. He was the God-man and tempted and yet without sin. He's the one to think of when we think about this practice involving the red heifer. So it says in verse 3, you shall give it, this red heifer, as described, to Eleazar. Why Eleazar? He's a priest. He's a son of Aaron. Remember, the priesthood is in their line. And soon you'll see in chapter 20, he actually becomes high priest. Give it to Eleazar the priest. It shall be brought, does your Bible say outside the camp? Something like that. 
should say outside the camp and be slaughtered in his it's look it's a dirty business i must tell you there's uncleanness there's corruption there's 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 defilement this kind of activity is not fit to be done within the precincts of the city and so all this distasteful stuff has to take place the animal has to be slaughtered you see outside the camp that's where the heifer is to be slain and can you see something that reminds us of the Lord Jesus in this as well let me read to you Hebrews chapter 13 verses 11 and 12 for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So you see, I'm on the right track. These sacrificial animals foreshadowed the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, so as to show us that he's the ultimate fulfillment of the sin offering His slaughter was in the same fashion. If it was true, so says the writer of Hebrews, that these animals offered for sin were slaughtered outside the gate, so too uh, the Lord Jesus, who shed his blood for sin, offered his life outside the gate. You can go to Jerusalem today. We were just there not too many weeks ago. We don't know exactly the place of the crucifixion of the Lord. There are some places that um, emerge as likely spots. All alternative places are outside the gate of ancient Jerusalem as it was walled and gated in the Lord's day. In fulfillment of Hebrews, which fulfills what we're reading about in Numbers 19, That is the red heifer. So let me just save you some trouble. You can stop looking for the red heifer right now. I know some are actively engaged. Stop. You don't have to. He has come. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lord Jesus. Look no further. Now verse 4. Next, Eliezer the priest shall take some of the blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood. Notice. Toward the front of the tent of meeting, how many times? Yes, seven, the number of fullness and totality and completion, nothing missing. Sprinkle the blood, do this, priest, do it towards the front of the tent of meeting. Remember, that's the place where God said, I shall establish my presence with you during your wilderness wanderings. I will tabernacle amongst you. This is before the construction of the temple. This is a holy shrine, a tent-like shrine, which would be carried from place to place during the wilderness wanderings. God said, I will establish my presence here. You will meet me here. And notice the priest who dips his finger in the blood of the red heifer offers it right there at the front of the tabernacle, the place where God resides. Why? Folks, the debt owed is a debt owed to God. Therefore, the offering, therefore, the payment has to be given to God. Though the sacrifice 
took place outside the gate, the blood has to be brought, you see, to this place, uh, the tent of meeting where God resides. In so many words, one says, oh God, we have sinned against you. We owe you a debt which we cannot pay. You have provided for us an atonement, a covering in blood for our sin, an innocent living one slaughtered in place of guilty living ones that we may live. And therefore, O most holy God, we offer the blood of atonement back to you, knowing you who provided the lamb will accept its blood as a covering for our sin, you see. Um, <clears throat> we're all trying in so many different ways to have favor with God. <laughs> Humanitarian, philanthropic efforts, cleaning up the environment, you know, going green and all that stuff. Religion, Hebrew we call it mitzvot, good deeds. It has to be blood brought back to God in faith. Blood atonement, which he provided, has to be offered to him. And he he won't accept any other offering. Did you know that? That's the only offering. It's, It's the blood of the lamb, and he will accept none other. I remember the time, don't you, when Abraham was asked to take his son Isaac, remember, and offer him in sacrifice. Oh, my goodness. On Mount Zion, you can go. I keep saying this, but it's true. This is not fables, not Greek mythology. This is true stuff. You can stand on Mount Moriah today where Abram, uh, by faith, was about ready to offer Isaac in sacrifice. Did God accept that sacrifice? He did not. Uh, He has never accepted the sacrifice of any but his own son. So you can beat yourself all you want. You're doing it in vain. He's not going to accept your self-mutilization. He's not going to accept that, your self-destructive behavior. He's not going to accept your self-punishment as a means of atonement. God has provided the lamb. He's not looking for anyone's life. He's looking for the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of his son for all that we need. The satisfaction of all that God requires is enveloped in the son. God has always provided the lamb until this very day. The lamb is provided in the person of the Lord Jesus. So verse 9, a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place. And the congregation of the sons of Israel shall keep it as water to remove. The ashes are mixed with water. uh, And this is meant to remove impurity. It is purification from Sin. Uh, so one red heifer and its ashes mixed with the water can really accommodate a lot of people for a long time. Um, the rabbis tell us that since this was invoked uh, and until 2,000 years ago, uh, probably all we had were nine or possibly ten red heifers, you see. That's all there was. So God said this is the means of 
purification. In verse 10, the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening, and it shall be a perpetual statute to the sons of Israel and and to the alien who sojourns among them. Wow, that's the universality of the gospel right there in the Old Testament. One red heifer providing atonement for everybody. For the sons of Israel, as well as for the sojourners, the aliens amongst you. That means you guys, Gentiles. I mean it. One sin offering provided by God for all human sin, Jewish and Gentile, old and young, male and female, and every other bit of diversity in the human family is covered by the blood of the Lamb. There are not different means. I know this is politically correct today. You take this road to God, and I take that road. And How could a billion Muslim people be wrong with regard to their road? How could be passionate and zealous Jews? How could they be wrong about... Come on. One red heifer. One offered as a perpetual statute to everybody uh, as the means of atonement. It reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 3.18. For Christ, remember the ultimate red heifer, for Christ also died for sins. How many? Once for all. The just, that's him. For the unjust, that's us. In order that he might bring us to God. And that is the fundamental human problem. It's not the economy. It's not Afghanistan. It's not Al-Qaeda. It's not what... It's alienation from the creator. And the one who fulfilled this antitype, the red heifer, the one who is the ultimate fulfillment of it all, uh, the Lord Jesus solved our alienation problem from God by dying once for all the just for the unjust in order that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh good news made alive in the spirit yeah can you see the consistency of the Bible I know people say there's inconsistencies show me uh, you know, this is, we're talking about a gap of centuries and cultural language differences from numbers to First Peter. But it's the same thing. God has provided the lamb. Now, verse 11, the one who touches the corpse of any person shall be unclean for, for seven days. You know, um, this was in the day when there were no microscopes and germ theory, didn't know about bacteria and contagion and all the rest but almighty God knew about all this and so many of his strictures in the Old Testament which seem a little unusual uh, to us to some extent today and to them and that they even more are based on um, God's awareness of how the world works he doesn't need a microscope uh, to see life uh, unavailable to to a seeing eye and so we know today scientists tell us that the incubation period for most bacteria is about seven days. And so you're going to know, if you think you've been exposed to a disease, you're going to know within about seven days whether you done got it or not. But God knew that way back before science caught up with his truth. 
We didn't know about stuff like washing. This whole text, this whole chapter, you can read it in a more thorough way on your own, is about washing your hands, washing your clothes, letting them dry off. You know, some bacteria, they thrive in moisture. And so God has a whole procedure for drying, drying yourself off. They didn't understand all, of, all about this kind of stuff, but God did. You know, God requires certain things of us today, doesn't he? i got to be honest with you. Some of what God requires does not have an appeal to my sense of reason. Too bad. Father knows best. Come on. Don't wait to submit till you have full comprehension of all God is asking you to submit to. Come on. He knows. He knew in that day. He knows today what's best. So if you touch the corpse... Uh, of a person, a dead person, you're going to be unclean. Now, why would you want to touch the corpse of a dead? What's up here? Well, listen, you will recall in chapter 16, I'm rounding off, about 15,000 people died. It was a bad scene. They rebelled. And there was a consequence. And as part of God's judgment, about 15,000 people died. Listen, these people are all together. It's kind of a tight community. You, death is all around. You can't hardly avoid you know, a total of 600,000, probably about 600,000, died in the course of the 40 years of Israel's wilderness wanderings. Death became part and parcel of everyone's reality. It was an inescapable reality. You just couldn't get away from death and dying and corruption and uncleanness and all the rest. And so there's this procedure. So it continues, verse 13, anyone who touches a corpse... The body of a man who's died and doesn't purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from Israel because the water for impurity was not sprinkled on him. He'll, he, he will be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. You know, he made contact with an unclean corpse. And then he went to worship. <laughs> he brought his uncleanness and his defilement into the tabernacle as you can uh, lift up unholy hands to a holy God. And if you do that, the text says, you defile, that person defiles the whole tabernacle, the consequence of which is a cutting off. You're cut off. That doesn't just mean um, you're disenfranchised from the community. If you study uh, the phrase in the Hebrew, it actually means it's over for you. You die. You're cut off from hope of uh, entry into the promised land. You're cut off in a very final way, from the covenant community. Folks, the wages of sin is death. It says that, doesn't it, in the new covenant? You cannot possibly fool yourself into thinking, nor can I, that we could approach a holy God in an acceptable manner while we remain in the deadness of our sin. We cannot possibly have the audacity to think that God's holiness will be compromised by unholy ones rushing in uh, to his presence. No, no, no. We too can be cut off out of the land of the living. That's called eternal separation from the one who gives life. You know what that's called? That is called hell. That's what hell is. Paul Uh, Once a rabbi, Rabbi Shaul of Tarsus, the apostle we know him as, Paul, painfully aware of all of this reality, one time shouted out, I think in agony, if you 
can hear his emotion come through the words. In Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, Paul said, Wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Who will set, not what? Not give me a self-help program. Who will set me free from this? Listen to this expression. Body of death. I wonder if he's referring back to what we're reading about here in Paul's Torah in the book of Numbers. Who will set me free from this body? And he comes to this grand and liberating conclusion. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did you know that uncleanness cannot correct itself? Did you know it's not something you ever get over? It just doesn't spontaneously go away. Uncleanness. Human uncleanness. It can't correct itself. So the one who is unclean and who does not take advantage of God's means of purification will simply never, ever, ever get clean. Never, never, never. So the one who is unclean, that's everybody, has to do something about it. And the one who is unclean has to do about it, what God says must be done. And what God says must be done is that you have to apply the blood, the ashes of an innocent, unblemished, without defect, red heifer, never put to common use, offered outside the gate to provide atonement for your sin. Then you can approach the holy place without defilement, in you or towards it. Then you will not be cut off. Then you're part of the covenant community of faith. Then you gain entrance into the promised land. I cannot make up for my uncleanness my way. This is whole humanistic, human potential thing. <laughs> we can overcome. You can be anything you want to be. Believe in yourself. You know all those, all that, that all that mantras. Hey, it's nonsense. Believe in yourself. <gasps> Do you know how much blind faith that requires? You know you. Most of us. You probably don't even like you. You're going to believe in you? You cannot be anything you want to be. What a lie. No, you can't. I've tried being taller. (laughs) Thus far. Not doing so good. You can fool yourself into thinking you're clean enough to stand in the presence of an unapproachably holy God. You can do all. It's not true. It's just, it's not true. But here is good news. The red heifer is God's provision for inevitable and unavoidable contact with the spiritual death, which is all around us. The red heifer is God's gracious provision for the inevitable and unavoidable contact 
each of us has with spiritual death all around us. And the offering of the Lord Jesus, the one typified by the red heifer of Numbers chapter 19, far exceeds what the red heifer was able to do. I can prove this by another reference to Hebrews chapter 9. We'll close with this, verses 13 and 14. Listen. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer. So you see, you don't really quite grasp what's happening in Hebrews until you go back and check it out in Numbers 19. Now you can understand what's going on here. So, so if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. If that's true, how much more? If what they did sanctified to a certain animals, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, again, a reference to what came before, without blemish, offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will his sacrifice cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How much more? Of how much more value is the offering of God's perfect, beloved, only begotten Son? How much more is that offering sufficient to cleanse our horrific, guilty conscience? You know it drives us crazy, don't you know that? The voice of our conscience, this inner voice. You're worthless, you're junk, you're dirty, you're unclean, you're unlovable. You can never accomplish. It's a, oh my goodness. An unrestrained conscience is just shouting out horrific things. Yeah, but, wait, but, 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 but if the blood of a red heifer could accomplish, can so cleanse people that now they felt free not only to worship God, but to serve him forever. How much more, if that's true, how much more is the offering of the very son of... You talk about being free from defect, flawless, unblemished, not fit for common, profane purposes, but the very son of God, deity himself. How much more will his offering given to the father... Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How much more will his standing in our place cleanse our terribly loud condemning conscience from dead works to try to quiet its voice with a semblance of goodness and virtue? How much more will his sacrifice, instead of our own efforts, how much more will it cleanse our conscience from all futility so that now we are free to serve the living God? And the writer of Hebrews makes it a rhetorical question. I ask you, of what is more benefit to you than the sacrifice of God's Son for you? Tell me. Tell me. How much more? 
can acceptance of what he has done do for you than anything else you could possibly come up with? Tell me. I want to know. You know what I want to know? What can wash away your sins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen. Uh, If that's happened, get ready to see him and say goodbye world. (laughs) If you've not made that decision, stick around. We're going to dismiss you in just a few minutes. Some of us are going to go there on the other side of the wall. Connection center. We want to connect with you. We want to talk about what you want to talk about. And we want to pray. And if your heart is stirred up (laughs) to establish this connection through the ultimate red heifer, the Lord Jesus.